The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. chances are a luxury of which few of us are ever able to take advantage. The prospect of repeating history, with the possibility of getting it right, could be too appealing to turn down. But should one play safe for greater chances of success, or take greater risks for greater reward? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and small metal tube, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. This evening's seminar covers the 2008 comic book drama The Incredible Hulk, directed by Louis Leterrier and starring Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, William Hurt and Tim Roth. My guest is Chris Arnsby, and you join us halfway up a mountainside in the shack amidst the chaos of the Brazilian favelas. Hello, Chris. Hello. Now, last time we talked about Ang Lee's Hulk, mm. and um, this time we want to uh, continue the story of the Incredible Hulk diptych with The Incredible Hulk. That's the one, yeah. Uh, the Jewel of the Nile of Hulk movies, as I previously described yeah. it. And the least popular entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really? Yeah. I suppose... Even I... more so than Thor The Dark World, which is yeah. really quite bad. I mean, but this was a relatively early this entry, was, wasn't it? Was this it was the second one. Oh, it was number two, only, was it? And it came out only a few months after Iron Man. Right. So it, it was really the film that kind of pointed towards a larger universe, yeah. not just at one series of films, but this is from a different studio, it has a different lead character, mm. but there are ties back to Iron Man over the course of the film, most yeah. obviously with the cameo by Robert Downey yeah, Jr. Yeah. at the end. Um, what did you think when you first saw it? I, I didn't see it. I, I, I was kind of surprised. I was go, going back through sort of Wikipedia and stuff last night and was surprised to realise how late I'd come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think I actually saw many of these films until about 2012, actually. Oh. And I think I suddenly started to pick up. And certainly the first one that I saw at the cinema would have been Ant-Man, which is about halfway through, I think. You didn't even see Marvel's The Avengers? No, that was oh. one I caught later on DVD. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely... And I don't quite know why uh, why I didn't pick up on these earlier. But no, the, the, certainly everything up to Ant-Man, I sort of caught up with on DVD, courtesy of Love Film. So I'm not really even sure I was seeing them in the right order. <laughs> and the, But I got... Um, they sent me through The Incredible Hulk, and I watched it, and... I think my reaction at the time was just, yeah, that was a better film than Ang Lee's The Hulk. And I don't think uh, it left much of an impression on me. And ironically, and this goes back to the controversial theory I was advancing in part one, I think this is a worse film than Ang Lee's The Hulk because... It's too safe. 
that might be it. I'm trying to. Uh, Angley's is yeah is 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 very ramshackle and very rickety and and is in danger of falling apart and and doesn't know what the hell it's doing. Whereas this is, this is exactly what you'd expect and it's perfectly competent and in and and in the way that a lot of the Marvel films are, you sit there and watch it and go, that was fine, and then you sit down sort of uh, later on and go, yeah, I'm sure I've seen that one. And and that was kind of my feeling. I remember when I went back to watch this last night. I remembered there was a fight outside an old, um, a kind of a, a country house or something. And that was literally all I remembered was that there was a there was a there was kind of filming in that there was a fight in the grounds of some big old rambling mansion or something. It's yeah. the university. Yeah, it's the university. So you, I mean, you're close. Yeah. And that, but that was it. That was the one bit. And I, if you'd if you'd asked me the day before yesterday, I would have said that was the climax of the film because that was the only bit that, that I remembered. So um, I saw it when it, I, I saw all the Marvel films mm. in cinema. Obviously, well, yeah. who, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> um, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised when it it went on to be regarded as the least of the MCU films because although you're right to say it is relatively middle of the road and does play it safe there are others that are much less interesting mm. before the dark world is a real dull mess is that yeah I'm gonna have to is that number one or number two it's number two presumably that's the one with the film at Greenwich isn't it yes I don't remember anything I, I've definitely seen that film on DVD I remember there's a spaceship lands at Greenwich or something. The villain is Christopher Eccleston wearing five pounds of latex and speaking in a made-up language. Uh, I'm sure it's in it's the... It's really... I mean, I remember, yeah. I remember almost nothing about it. No, I, I really... It hasn't left much. I remember feeling with the first Thor film, the ending was surprisingly kind of low stakes because it's like one robot turns up and menaces a desert town or something. Yes. Isn't it? It's like... If they had made Thor as a TV movie in about 1988, that's the kind of ending I would have expected for Thor the TV movie. Yeah. Um, but the best yeah. part of Thor the Dark World is the, the bit where Thor visits Jane and her flat, and as he walks through the door, he hangs uh, Mjolnir the hammer on a coat hook. Hmm. So I thought, is that just yeah, a little... Yeah. And that, that's clearly a little something that they... Yeah, yeah. Set. I thought that's a nice little gag, and it points to how they would then develop Thor as a, a more self-aware, humorous yeah. character. But um, I think time has been kind to the Incredible Hulk. This one, yeah. Um, in the wake of the box office struggle rather than mm. failure of Ang Lee's Hulk. Um, there were questions of what was going to happen next there, there had been a possible sequel mooted before, that came to nothing and then Marvel came along with their big master plan with the handicap that the movie rights to Hulk are owned by Universal mm. so a deal was forged for a one-off movie and this is the result it's also the reason why there hasn't been another Hulk movie Okay. I mean what's what's in Interesting. This is not interesting. That's exactly. But obviously, when Ang Lee's the Hulk starts, starts with the Universal logo, and then you get the Marvel logo. 
Whereas with this one, it's the other, you get the Marvel logo, and then I think it says Universal Presents in relatively small letters. And it's obvious that the balance of power has changed in some way that the Universal executives don't quite understand in 2008, but things aren't going the way they'd expect. I didn't realise that the Hulk was the same kind of deal as Sony and Spider-Man then, where well, they just lent out the rights to the character. Yes, but Universal has... Universal effectively retains the rights to... Mm a standalone Hulk movie, um, which is how you've had the Hulk then appearing in the Avengers movies, yeah. he's in the Thor Ragnarok, and he can do that because those are not standalone movies. Right. The deal that uh, Disney and Sony have agreed regarding Spider-Man means that the standalone movies are Sony, the team-up movies are Disney, but they have a, a mixing of creative teams yeah. so that everyone's on the same page. Um but uh, given that Universal's big budget movies are generally quite poor, yeah. I think this is probably a, a, a safe arrangement for the time being. Um, with Ang Lee gone, off to make other things, to make Brokeback Mountain, and then devote himself to uh, pointless wastes of technology, <laughs> like um, uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and Gemini Man. Oh, that's right. That's his big new high-concept film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. As uh, at time of recording, it's actually cut, released yesterday. Oh, really? Uh, as of as of this recording, it's already bombing <laughs> because it's filmed in 120 frames per second, 4K 3D, and there isn't a single cinema in the United States that can show it. Oh, <laughs> because that's what happens. Right. Um, so they needed a new director, and if you want something that is Exciting, fast-paced, a lean action movie that's kind of more stripped down. Who do you talk to about the director of The Transporter? Yeah, Louis, sense. Louis Leterrier. Um, so since directed the entire series of the Dark Crystal prequel, mm. um, not a project I would have expected him to handle. No, I, I did have a look at him on IMDb, and he, he's directed an odd suit because he moves on from this to Clash of the Titans doesn't it yeah yeah and I think that's it isn't it it's Clash of the Titans then the Dark Crystal or is there another one in I, between I would expect there have been things in between uh, help me Mr Internet mm. uh, yes oh he directed Now You See Me oh okay which I loved the first the first Now You See Me is terrific it's Mission Impossible except they're all magicians right <laughs> Stage magicians, yeah. rather than magic powers. Mm. And it's really great. I loved it. The second one is dreadful. <laughs> because it, it's like, oh yeah, no, everyone is doing a trick against everyone else. Uh, everyone's a double... Is it? And, everyone, and, uh. and uh, Michael Caine's villain comes back and his son is played by Daniel Radcliffe. And I thought, hmm, I'm not sure those ages match up. <laughs> um, but he didn't direct that. No, no. Um, the... First, the studio's first choice to take over as the Hulk, David Duchovny. No. Yep. Really? Yep. They wanted... In 2008? Yeah. I'm struggling now. I mean, as much as I, I like David Duchovny and he's got a great sense of humour, what was he doing in 2008 that had suddenly got him back on everyone's radar? Well, after the X-Files, he went relatively quickly onto a show called California yeah, yeah. 
And that ran for seven or eight seasons. So that would have still been going at the time that... The I believe so, yeah. Fair enough. Um, but also, he was 48 that year, which seems a little old to take on this character, mm. given that Edward Norton was uh, nine years younger. Right. So... Uh, Duchovny obviously wasn't cast. Louis Leterrier's choice, Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> oh, good for him. Um, and in retrospect, Ruffalo is the perfect yeah. choice because he doesn't look like a superhero. No. He just looks like a guy. Yeah. Whereas Edward Norton, when he was cast, and I think he was a, he's a very good choice because it gives it a gravity that you don't then need to translate into a very serious, heavy-handed script. You can have a serious, heavyweight actor. It's mm. like if you can't... Like they cast Glenn Close in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that gives it a credibility. If Glenn Close is doing it, then it's a proper movie. This is something to uh, mm. be treated with respect, regardless of how deliberately off-the-wall yeah. and crazy it is. So if Edward Norton's doing an Incredible Hulk movie, clearly he sees something in it that's yeah. worth his time. Yes. Even if it's just he wants to do an exciting superhero movie. Yeah, well, he's, he's seen what Robert Downey Jr. is up to and he wants a piece of the pie. Yeah, exactly. But don't forget, Iron Man hadn't come out yet. <laughs> no, of course. I'd forgotten that they, they, they both came out relatively close together, didn't they? So, yeah. It's possible, maybe, that he was looking at Batman Begins. Yeah, that's true. Because um, the script for Incredible Hulk was by Zach Penn, who'd worked on some drafts of Hulk. Am I right in thinking that Edward Norton was up for the Hulk, for Ang Lee's Hulk at one point? I don't know. Uh, I thought I, I, I did some very hasty, well, as much as my research ever goes beyond Wikipedia, it was, but I, I'm sure I remember Edward Norton's name coming up in, in the context of the first film as well. But he passed on it because, well, who, who the hell does superhero films? Yeah. Quite possibly. Um... But when he signed on to star, he also signed to rewrite the script. Mm. And his take was that the move would be more towards a Batman Begins style. That it would be a more serious, grounded affair. So it would be a middle ground between the self-seriousness of Ang Lee's style and the slightly more loose... uh, conversational style of Iron Man. Yeah. Something more sort of in the middle ground. The result, I think, is something that's a lot more like Iron Man. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because there were other rewrites that he was uh, overruled on. Hmm. And there's a a reason why he didn't come back. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, The film starts with uh, really like a recap of the first film, but it's a different first film. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's more like a recap of... Uh, what happened in the TV show. It's more like a kind of folk memory of the Hulk in a way. It's that, that kind of thing that everyone assumes they remember. It's it's rather like with Spider-Man now, that we didn't need to see an origin yeah. for Tom Holland's version of Peter Parker. We know how Spider-Man came to be. Yeah. So we just have as a little recap in the title sequence, yeah, there was some kind of gamma radiation experiment, yeah. Bruce tested it on himself, he turned into a monster, he had to 
split away from his girlfriend, he goes on the run and the military's after him. Yeah, it's pretty much everything you need to know, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the basics to bring you up to speed. And also there's an intimation that Stark technology is involved. Yeah, you see, I definitely didn't... When I was watching it last night, I didn't pick up on this. Oh, actually, you do get... You see, is there a piece of kit that's got Stark industry? There is a very important piece of kit that comes up later in the movie, which is related to Stark. Yeah, that's it. I do remember. Now now I come to say it out loud, yes. And so the, the story proper picks up with Bruce in hiding in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, possibly in Rio. I don't think it's made clear exactly where. No, I think it's uh, it's kind of generic. Um, generic South American uh, favela. That's the word. Yes, I was I, I, I was wondering whether to have a sprint at the word favela, but. Uh. <laughs> um, and he's living quietly. He has a dog. Um, he is teaching himself Portuguese by watching old American yes. sitcoms with a dictionary. And he's got a job working in a factory that bottles soft drinks. Mm. Whilst in his spare time, he's carrying on his research with some mysterious figure on the internet. Yes, Mr. Blue, isn't it? Uh, well, he is, of course, Mr. Green. Yes. And he's also training in martial arts with one of those, you know, backstreet martial arts instructors that they have. Yes. Who's actually, uh, when you look down the, uh, um, the cast list, he's actually one of these people that's actually quite famous. I think it's a guy called Rickson Gracie. Yeah, he's, um, he's quite a big name. I wouldn't, wouldn't know him to name. see him, but when I scroll down the list, it's, oh, it's that bloke, yeah. It's, um, it, like, he's the best person to have for yes. that particular yeah. role. Um, all of which raises the question, to this version of the story, is Ang Lee's Hulk canon? Mm. Because there's not there are bits of of Incredible Hulk, which if you squint, you yeah. can fit the two together. It's what it kind of reminds me of, and I'm, here we go, Doctor Who again. Um, there's a th- I, I've seen it expressed as a kind of fan theory that continuity in the seventies was kind of what you could remember. So it wasn't necessarily what actually happened. So that, for example, when you get to the deadly assassin and Rassilon goes into a black hole to recover the the eye of harmony. The eye of harmony. Bob Holmes remembers. Oh, there was a story about black holes and the Time Lords used them for their power supply. And there's a there's a feeling that Rassilon is basically Omega, but somebody kind of hasn't quite remembered yeah. the details properly. He's misremembered it, and then no yeah. one's really bothered to correct. Him. No, that's right. And 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 that's kind. Of, I kind of feel like that's the relationship between the Hulk and the Incredible. It's the it's the stuff that you sort of remember. Um, yeah, there was a film a few years ago mm. where where he had the thing and he turned into the Hulk, and there was a whole exciting story and yeah. there's a general and there's a girlfriend and it ends with him in South America yeah and that's it and that's kind of everything you need to know and what there's some radioactive poodles well shh <laughs> yeah, well they, were, he, they had their faces torn off so yeah. they were not in this movie he had a dad who looked like a tramp mm. but he turned into a bubble or yeah, something. something yeah yeah, yeah. I, could, I couldn't really see by that point I was running away from the cinema um, and there's also a lady in the bottling plant who likes him yes Already it feels like it's a different tone. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, he's being nice and he's helping fix the factory and there's some... Uh, there's he's, some he's, he's the one sort of technically-minded guy in the factory, so he's always fixing bits and bobs yeah. around there. He, uh, he cuts his hand slightly and a drop of his blood falls all the way through the 
the the, um, the, the conveyor belt yeah. and into one of the bottles. And in a frenzy, he has to try and find the bottle that his blood's gone in, and he thinks he catches it, but he hasn't mm. really. Um, later on, as he's going off for his lunch, uh, he sees that the girl is being pestered by the local bully. So um, he confronts him and says in his broken Portuguese, "Don't make me hungry." Yes, yeah, which is I, I quite, which is a nice joke. Um... I quite like that one. There's there's other points in the film where I'm going to get very sniffy about some of the jokes, but we'll save those for later. See, the, the thing, compared to the first movie, the first movie kind of assumed that you didn't know what the Hulk was. Yeah. Whereas here, it's playing on audiences' kind of background knowledge. Oh, yeah, oh yeah don't make me angry. That's something from mm. The Incredible Hulk. But and it's just making a little gag on that to say, yeah, we know. We know yeah. that you know. And we're going to have a little fun with that. Hmm. Yes, and there's a lot less frantic exposition. You know, that there isn't. There would you, you know, you, if this had been Ang Lee's sequel, there would have been a whole twenty-minute sequence showing him making his way to South America and probably something unrelated involving anger issues. Or... Yeah, there would have been another lengthy father-son story. <laughs> yes, and here there isn't. It's so much more stripped back. Yeah, it's twenty-five minutes shorter, mm. and it feels even shorter than that. Yeah. Um, the boss turns up and diffuses things and, and they go. And um, Bruce thinks that there's a certain flower, I think. Is this right? The, yeah, the, yeah. The, he's, he's, so, he's been sent to... He's, he's talking to Mr... Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue via encrypted science technology stuff. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't realise that he's given away his location because cut to America... And he's being monitored, and certain key phrases are being searched for. Mm. And he triggers that. Well, that's that's right. And he, accident, and he poisons Stanley. Yes, it turns out he didn't catch the right bottle. Yeah, it finds its way to the U.S. and the person drinking it is in fact Stanley, which presumably gives gives him his uh, super aging power. I can only assume so. Yes. We never find out what happened to the man who drank the bottle. No, the mind boggles, doesn't it? Well, given what happens to Tim Roth's character later on, frankly, anything could have happened to Stanley. Well, Tim Roth... Well, I, I, I want to I <laughs> save up for that, because yeah. I think there's something there that you haven't spotted that's quite important. Oh, OK. No, um, so that tips off the authorities that there's something going on at the mm. bottling plant. And they assemble a team of people to send in, led by Anglo-Russian Marine mm. Emil Blonsky... Yeah, played by cheeky Cockney chappy Tim Roth. Yes. <laughs> um, what do you think of Tim Roth in this film? I, I, uh, this is perhaps I'm. It's entirely possible I'm sailing out into waters I'm not entirely equipped to navigate because who am I to talk about actors' performances? I think this film has got some very good actors in who are not giving their best work, and Tim Roth I think is one of them. But I couldn't quite tell you why. There was something about his character that... Uh, maybe it's just that his character's not very interesting. But Tim, Tim Roth doesn't seem engaged with the character. I, I find the character of Blonsky quite interesting. Okay. Because they do make a point of saying that he's older. I suppose there's a sense that, that time has passed and he regrets that... You know, he know, Well, as, as is 
said in the film that that he now knows stuff that he feels he can't sort of use to its full potential because he's not the person he used to no, be. No, he's he's start he's he's aging. Yeah. He's he's slower. He's not as strong as he used to be, but he still has that young man's angst, fire, and instinct inside him. And the idea of being able to improve himself mm. physically again comes round importantly in the story. The but, idea, the his his kind of insecurity about his own ageing. Yeah. But there's just... And I don't mean, if I say I don't like the character, I don't mean in the sense that, oh, he's a villain. It's because I didn't, I just kind of you didn't... You don't find him interesting enough. No, that's it. I know what you mean about likability. People say, oh, there's no likeable characters in this movie. Hmm. Hannibal Lecter is not a likeable character, but you want to see what he's going yes, to do next. Yeah. He has to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not, he's just... They, they at least I think make a, um, a nod towards the character being, ha- having so, having an interior life, having a. I suppose a so, yeah. In the way they don't with Talbot. Talbot's just a greedy corporate suit. Yes, he's, he's, yeah. he's nothing. Blonsky is a good soldier, but he also has this insecurity that is yeah. that is his fatal flaw. Yeah, I suppose that's that's true. I, I suppose again, it goes back to what I was saying about the Hulk, where there's a sense that if you pointed the camera at one of the other characters and said, "Okay, now this character is the star of the film," you could at least follow Blonsky's character, mm. and it would be the story of a soldier that will do anything, not only to will do anything to take down the Hulk, but will do anything to recapture his past, what he considers to be his past glories. But don't know, don't know if it's he's not scary enough. Uh, Tim Roth, and given that Tim Roth played a frightening skinhead in um, This Is England, was it? Made in, made, made in England. Made in Britain. Made in Britain, that's it. So it's not that he's incapable of being... This just... Uh, something's, something's missing. He's not quite bringing the right tone to the character. Yeah. He wasn't first choice, I believe. Uh, it was, in fact, Ray Stevenson. Don't recognise again. Name, name is almost completely forgotten to history. Um, he had a major role in Rome, the miniseries, oh, okay. um, and he went on, of course, to play the Punisher in Punisher Warzone. Oh, didn't the, see the, the I think only R-rated Marvel movie, huh. and it's really R-rated. Oh, okay. uh, Dominic West plays the villain, and he gets fed face first into a glass crusher. Ooh. Yeah, that's pretty R-rated, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a nasty movie. Um, yeah, I, I always I should stop I should stop trying to cast Bob Peck in everything. But I go back to Bob Peck as Muldoon. He's doing something that you want. He's, Muldoon's a, a stupid character, but Bob Peck makes him interesting and watchable. Yeah, let's put Bob Peck in as Blonsky. Well, Muldoon in, in Jurassic Park, he's interesting because he's an expert in. Wild animals, mm. but he's not an expert in dinosaurs. No. Dinosaurs are a totally different echelon of creature. Yeah, and that's the failure that he thinks he can treat them the same, mm. but they're far too clever for him. So that's his flaw. That it's it's the arrogance of yeah uh, of uh, wisdom. Yeah, I'm just trying to think who you could slot in. That would make for a good kind of soul. I mean, I think I mean, I think Tim Roth would have been. A, Louis Leterrier is not an actor's director. That that might also be part of the problem. Of Maybe course. Tim Roth needs a guiding hand. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, he's been a director himself, um, and the film that he made, The War Zone, is extremely 
character based. Oh, right. It's a very, very grim story about um, rape and incest. And it's the only film he's made. Right. Rather like Gary Oldman's only film as director is Nil by Mouth, which is a very brutal film about yeah. domestic violence. Um, I Sorry. No, please. Oh, no, all I was going to say was yes, I suppose my, it is entirely possible that you turn up for the first day on set and the director's over there fussing about the lighting and there's people holding up blue spheres on sticks and, and you just go, oh, this is going to be one of these shoots, isn't it? And you just, maybe you do just kind of switch off. And you... Like, I mean, he's the villain in the Planet of the Apes remake. Yep. This, I'll take your word for that. Yeah, he's the villain. He's, he's the evil ape General Thade. He was offered a choice between that role and Severus Snape in the first Harry Potter film. Oh, well. And he chose Planet of the Apes. And Alan Rickman played Severus yeah. Snape. And I thought, that's a shame. Yeah. Because if only he'd known how yeah. the characters were going to develop, he would have taken that role like a shot. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's eight major movies. I suppose it's the difference. It's that slightly weird thing, isn't it, where... Planet of the Apes, oh yeah, I remember that. That was all the monkeys. I like Planet of the Apes. Mm. Harry Potter, it's for kids, isn't it? Who wants to do that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's a shame. Because the remake of Planet of the Apes is pretty mm. fucking terrible. I mean, I would say it's Tim Burton's worst film, but I could say that about every single one that's made since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my God, what a choice. Um, oh, have you seen Alice in Wonderland? Uh, no. Don't! But isn't there some new one called Miss Miss Haberdashery's Home for Quirky Miss, Children? Miss Peregrine's something? Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah. Which looks like, I mean... It looks like somebody set Tim Burton to, to automatic and just kind of walked away. Um, well, it, no, that sounds a lot more like his remake of Dumbo. Oh, <laughs> but that's what I mean. You, you do just go, well, yeah, What what is his worst? You know, I think you can point to the... I think Mars Attacks... Is the point when he stopped making interesting films, or did he get another one out after that? Sleepy Hollow. Is that afterwards? Yeah, that was three okay. years later. Sleepy Hollow is his. He, I mean, he loved Hammer movies. He always wanted to make a Hammer movie, mm. and now he's done it. And it's like, well, that's the climax of your career now yeah. because you've done everything you always wanted to. Yeah. And Sleepy Hollow is great. It's really horrible. It's actually <laughs> in, all, got, in all the best ways. It's got quite. It's got a very nasty. It's got an edge to it that you wouldn't expect from. It's meant to be a kind of jolly. It's meant to be a ghost train, isn't it? It's meant to be a frightening exactly, ride yeah. for the kiddies, and it's not. It's a bit. No, nasty. It's, it's, re- nasty. it's really horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, my mother started watching it. She had to turn it off because it was too <laughs> scary. Blimey! And she, my mother's my mother fell asleep during Night of the Living Dead. She's tough. That's, yeah. We watched Night of the Living Dead over dinner, I think. Ooh. <laughs> right, now, where are we? Uh, we're still in uh, Brazil. Oh, we're in Brazil. Um, Mr. Blues said he's got good news, but he's going to need more data. Mm. But Bruce, with his very limited access, doesn't have it. But he knows that Betty does. Yeah. But she's back in America. Um, meanwhile, the dog hears the team closing in. And um, there's a little fibre optic camera comes under oh, the door, right, which yeah. the dog then eats. <laughs> and um, Bruce escapes out of the back door, and there's a big chase yeah, and all over the favela. And I thought, they should get Louis Leterrier to do a Bond film, because yeah. this, this chase sequence, it's, it's not an Incredible Hulk-style... It's just this 
elite team mm. all chasing after this one guy. And it's absolutely thrilling. Yeah, yeah. It uses the location really well. It's beautifully shot. The place feels like a labyrinth, but it never feels confusing. But the, uh, but the other thing as well, and this is always one of these things that I will incessantly whine about, it's well edited. You don't, you'd never go, well, hang on, he was over there and now... You know, you always know what's going on and who's where and who's chasing who and what the... St- yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's a really good sequence. Um, I mean, yeah, as I said, it could be in any yes. action. If, it, if it's got one fault... It's not. It, it's, yeah. There's not enough Incredible Hulk in it. Yes. Yeah. I suppose in a way it's kind of doing what because the Ang Lee film also teased. The, oh, is he going to turn into? No, not yet. You know, when's he? Oh, the other, the other the gimmick I've mentioned is he wears a special. Oh yes, he's um, bleeping. He's got a, a a wristwatch thing, which monitors his heart rate, mm. and if his heart rate goes too high, he transforms. That's a nice clear visual yes. thing for the audience. Yeah, in fact, and it solves one of the things that we were confused about with the Hulk, which is what makes him turn into the Hulk. It's his heart rate. Yeah. So it's fight or flight. Mm. Just as I said would be a good idea, they use my yes, idea. Yeah. See, that's what, that's why they get the big bucks, because they <laughs> use the good ideas. So there's a whole uh, exciting bit, and he has to use his martial arts. Mm. And, um, and then he meets up with the town bullies, and or, or the factory bullies, and... And it gets cornered in the factory, and that's when uh, he he's being kicked, and he looks up towards the camera, and he's got the the green yeah. eyes, and that's borrowed from the TV show. There's lots of nods to the TV mm. show. Again, it's acknowledging that the audience knows the heritage, yeah, rather than saying, "Ooh, what's going to happen when he gets angry?" Yes. <laughs> um, so he transforms, in that, and then it turns into a horror movie, yeah. with everyone being picked off by this unseen monster. Yes, it kind of, in a weird sort of way, it turns into Alien or something, doesn't yeah. it? With this thing stalking around in this industrial landscape. I think that maybe my feeling with this film is it starts, it does start off very well. And I think I, I feel it gets less interesting the closer the film gets to New York, in a weird oh. sort of way. I, 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 maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is just that this film starts off very well. Because um, that, that whole chase sequence and the fight in the factory. Yeah, no, no complaints at all. Have you seen the transporter? No, I probably it's, should do. It's not great. <laughs> okay, but that's more because um, uh, Luc Besson's scripts always <laughs> seem to have like this odd tinge of racism to them. Oh, right. Um, but it's got some really terrific, tightly edited, mm. well choreographed and directed action, and it's got Jason Statham. So obviously, yeah. it's fantastic. But his his films in general seem to have a real knack for realistic action that's really exciting and engaging. Mm. It's a bit he's gone off to do stuff with CGI, like um, yeah, like Clash of the Titans. I mean, that's I think why now you see me works so well because it all has to be real, mm. and there's a lot of sort of twistery and, and turning back and things. And now he's doing stuff with puppets. Yes, and I have zero interest in seeing a full-length prequel series to The Dark Crystal. You know, the, 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 the Dark Crystal is perhaps the subject for it, but I, I, rem- I remember it at the time, and I don't... It seems to be one of those films that's beloved by a lot of other people, but uh, good I mean, luck to them. Maybe, I mean, I might be too... I'm either too old or too young. I'm one there. or the other, because I watched it a couple of years ago and thought, oh, OK. I was there at the time, and it was... Uh, it was just it's it's really well made it's very impressive achievement yeah. in all the puppeteering 
and the design is very good. But I'm kind of but, left. Oh, so. No, uh, but and I'm kind of left with the same reaction that, and maybe this you know Goonies is another one that, that people oh the Goonies I love, well, it's it's, it's alright. Yeah, I mean I quite quite enjoy the Goonies. It's quite good fun, but it's no. Ghostbusters too. No, <laughs> I don't know what is, um, but that, no, there's a whole there's a, there's quite a few films where, and I suppose, uh, you could argue that, the, that I'm the same with the Medusa type. You know, oh, the Medusa type. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. But everyone goes, well, what the hell is the Medusa? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like being the saint, maybe. Yeah. Because I I evangelize about that to people. Yeah, and, and I get me to shut up fast enough. But I suppose the thing is that, that evidently with the Dark Crystal particularly. It's a film that pressed all the nostalgia buttons for the people that are now commissioning dramas for Netflix. So yeah, yeah, it's the Jim Henson thing as well, particularly. That might, yeah, because Jim Henson's kind of this cult figure now, as in people would have killed themselves if he told them to. <laughs> so um, the Hulk, having smashed up the place, runs away, mm. and disappears. The general raids um, his bedsit and finds all his data there. That's right, and they get his laptop, don't they, from yeah. the from the uh, factory. Yeah. Um, and while Blonsky is amazed and fascinated by the Hulk, mm. the idea of this this powerful creature that at the peak of its physical powers, and he at first thinks that the Hulk and Bruce are separate beings. Yes, that's right. Until General Ross says, "No, it, it's the same man." What do you think of William Hurt as General Ross? Compared to uh, Sam Elliott, he's he's fine. Uh, he's definitely not as good. Um, he do, like you like you said. He he's not someone I think that you could flip the movie around and have and follow him around. No, not in this case. He's uh, William Hurt is a, is a fantastic actor. He's uh, mm. deserves all his plaudits, but it feels here a bit too much like he's just going through the motions. It's like. Um, like when Tim Robbins was in the Green Lantern movie, I thought, oh yeah, you're here because they're paying you a lot. Yeah. So you're like making the slightly more than minimum effort. And his character is much more generic army bad man in a way. Um, even, even then, he, he's, he does some turnaround at the end and he goes out of his way to ask for Bruce's help. Yeah. Later in the movie. So it's, he's, not, yeah, he's, not, he's not a villain, but he's not an ally. Yeah. He's an obstacle. Yes. But he yeah. never becomes an obstacle with a personality of his own. No. It's boy, it's, it feels too much like the characteristics that Ross has in the first film, that he's a man of duty, that he's concerned about his daughter, wants to protect her from being mm. around Bruce because of the potential danger. He's been boiled to that and nothing yeah. else. It's a bit more of a generic idea of a career soldier. Maybe that's it. maybe it's somebody that's maybe it's just been written by somebody that's got a slightly a flatter idea of what soldiers do or what soldiers are like. Well, that would be Edward Norton. <laughs> well, that's true, <laughs> and Zach Penn to an extent. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's a shame. Or again, it's a talented actor that turned up on the first day of the set and went and talked to Tim Roth and went, "Oh, it's one of those. Yeah, should we just go to our trailer and?" Yeah, they'll, they'll come and get us when they yeah. need us. And maybe it is that. Maybe it's just actors who aren't being properly engaged. Mm. Um, Bruce wakes up in the jungle Yes. with no idea where he is and wearing uh, a lo- big pair of stretchy pants. And there's a, caption, there's a running caption on the screen. 
days, days, days without yeah. incident. And at the start of the film, it's 115 mm-hmm. something. And here we see the caption that it resets days without incident. One. Uh, he manages to find a road, he flags down a car, and starts talking to the driver in Portuguese. And the driver says, I think in English, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> and it turns out Bruce is in Guatemala. Mm. That Hulk has literally run halfway across South America overnight. What have I written here? Oh, um, Blonsky's travelling back to the US and uh, he wants another crack at uh, yeah. fighting the Hulk. Where we cut to, I mean, we have a, again, a nice acknowledgement of the TV show. A version of the tragic piano, yes, yeah. The Lonely Man. It's Is that what it's called? Yeah. I didn't know I had a no. As we see Bruce reduced to just begging for money mm. by a roadside with literally not, not even the clothes on his back until he gets enough money together to buy at least a set of clothes that he mm. can wear so, it's that... so that he can travel on foot cross-country to get the data he it's needs. It's that point when you kind of realise that being the Hulk is like the world's most useless superpower. Mm. Because you go, oh, well, I need to do this. I'll just turn into... Oh, no, maybe I'd better no, not. No, I can't, because then I'll just kill everyone. Yeah. And I think this... It's a better display of like, the angst and the tragedy mm. of being the Hulk than, than the Ang Lee film. Because you yeah. see on a practical level how it totally destroys Bruce's life. I suppose the... Ang Lee's The Hulk doesn't take place over a long enough period of time to sort of think about the logistics of what it's like to be that person. Yeah. Where it was just the simple fact of the caption going, oh yeah, it's been it's been a hundred... I quite like the fact that they call it incidents as well. Yeah. Um, a bit like in Calvin and Hobbes, where they refer to the noodle incident. You know, it's just, <laughs> we don't talk about what it... Yeah, we don't talk about it, it's just an incident. Um, but it, it's rare to see a character in like a superhero movie mm. being reduced to this level and having to then build themselves up for nothing. Yeah, and not uh, and being, uh, as you say, unable because he's a smart man. But there's nothing he can do about the situation. He's just stuck. And if he's just if he's trying to get back to the to, to the to America, but he's got to walk because what else can he do? He can't build himself. What's he going to do? Build himself a flying suit of armor? Or something? And he has he has no money. He yeah. can't. I mean, presumably, he gets himself smuggled across the border somehow. Yeah. If he because he can't get through passport control anyway. Mm. It's, uh, it, it makes the emotions feel much more grounded and real rather than the people explaining things to each other. Yes, yeah. Esoteric of the first one. Here we're, we're seeing firsthand his emotional Yeah, plight. it's just not much fun and being the Hulk. Yeah. I, I think it works on an emotional level so much better because you're showing and not telling. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, mention has been made of a super soldier program. Oh, yes, yeah. And um, that uh, was part of the whole um, experiment in in which Bruce was involved. Mm. So we discover that the Hulk was actually a byproduct of the same super soldier program that created Captain America. Yeah. And I think at this this, this is the point where we think, oh yeah, the two the two Hulk films aren't canon then because (laughs) (laughs) there's there's no bursting frogs in this film. (laughs) No. Um, a, I mean, there was a guy whose face turned red, the Red Skull. Oh yes, yeah. So the Super Soldier. Pro- so we know. I mean, that comes later, obviously. Yes. Yeah. But the Super Soldier serum, J. 
just creates your own inner self. That's what it does, doesn't it? So Steve Rogers' inner self was a person of uh, bottomless virtue and goodness and fairness, so he turns from a five-stone weakling into, you know, a powerful, yes. you know, powered by goodness. The Red Skull turns into, a, like, a crazy monster yes. face. Um, and Bruce Banner turned into the embodiment of all his repressed negative emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in Captain America was the third Marvel film? Fourth. Fourth, okay. So it was... Ugh. This Iron Man, Iron... Hulk, Thor? Iron Man 2. Oh, Iron Man 2. Actually, no. Captain America was the fifth. Blimey. Okay. This, um, Iron Man and Incredible Hulk were 2008. Yeah. Then Iron Man 2 was 2010, because there was a writer's strike. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, Thor and Captain America the Winter Soldier, wrong, Captain America the First Avenger, mm. were 2011. Right. And then Marvel's The Avengers was 2012. Okay. That's the sequence. Yeah, yeah. I'm just surprised that... The, uh, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that, that, that they were laying the groundwork that early on. But it's just odd to, to look back and realise it was spread out over quite a long time. Although I suppose the right, nobody had factored the writer's strike into account. Yeah. I mean, bear in mind now that it's 11 years and 23 films. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so Blonsky uh, wants to stay a fighter. He talks about his, you know, his concerns about ageing and losing his edge. And uh, is it it at this point that it's suggested that he's going to um, sample a little bit of the super soldier juice? Yes, yeah, I think there's there's very... You've kind of got Bruce's journey back to America, I think, is kind of mixed in with the super soldier stuff. And Mm. uh, Because certainly by the time they have the fight in... It's Culver University, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, He's all juiced up at that point, isn't Mm. he? And it's taken Bruce 17 days to get there. Okay. Um, and he's just sort of hanging around on campus and he finally sees Betty. Mm. And, um, and she sees that he's shit that he sees that she has a boyfriend. Yeah. And it's the look on Bruce's face. He looks so sad. <laughs> and I think, well, yeah, she's probably not going to wait around for the, the monster guy to get back no, from wherever. Um... Betty is now played by Liv Tyler. Yeah. Um, do you think that she's got much personality in this film? Not really, no. I do, again, this, 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 this comes back to my thesis that this film is full of actors that have all done more interesting work elsewhere. I think in this case it's that Betty isn't terribly well served by the writing. She does get some moments later on, like the taxi sequence, mm. which gives her a bit of, yeah. a bit of variation to her behaviour and also yeah. gives a bit of humour... You know, that, that Ang Lee decided not to have in his film. <laughs> yes. Um, the I, I don't know. The No, she's just a bit bored. And this, again, is one of the... I don't find the relationship between Edward Norton and Liv Tyler particularly... I don't find Convincing it Convincing or compelling? Or... Yeah, it's just there. And unfortunately, it's the thing that this film seems to linger on most... It's what, certainly what's, what seems to be driving a great chunk of the plot. And I think, again, I just find it a bit dull. But, let, yeah, let's call her actor, actor number three that's not really engaged with the process of making this film. And her boyfriend is played by no less than Ty Burrell, soon to become a major star as the, in the cast of Modern Family. Oh, OK. 
Um, and he was cast in this based on the strength of his performance in the remake of Dawn of the Dead, in which he plays a smarmy yuppie. <laughs> I don't remember him being in Dawn of the Dead at all. but Yeah, speaking of actors who are above the material, um, oh, I've forgotten her damn name. Hmm. The lead actor in Dawn of the Dead. What's her name again? I couldn't, Sarah. couldn't tell you, but I'm quite happy to vamp while you look stuff up on the internet if you think that will help. Quick, sing a song. Yeah, oh, no, the, the, we really don't want to go down that road. Tell, um, tell a joke. Do some magic. Yes, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll do some close-up magic. Ta-da! Not, not, not that close! Um, yeah, so uh, he's in Dawn of the Dead, and so is Sarah Polly. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, now an acclaimed uh, filmmaker and activist uh, in a whole string of serious movies and also Dawn of the Dead. Mm. Um, has oh. since directed um, uh, Julie Christie for another Oscar nomination, mm. um, Oscar nominated herself, and also she was also in Dawn of the Dead because you know, sometimes you just need money. I will always have a, a a bit of a soft spot for the remake of Dawn of the Dead simply on the power of that opening sequence, which is, I, I still maintain, it's absolutely brilliant. It's Zack Snyder's best film. Yeah. And it's it's the event horizon of Zack Snyder's career because everything else he's done is absolutely fucking terrible. <laughs> well, yeah. But, and the same with Paul W.S. Anderson. But Event Horizon is actually a pretty decent little film on its own terms. Hmm. And the Dawn of the Dead remake strips out all the intelligence of the original movie. Well, yeah. But the decision to get to have it fast zombies yeah. really amps up the the threat level, and it sort of compensates by turning it from a satire into an action movie, and it works really well. And it has a much grimmer ending as well that people forget. Yeah, so it does, doesn't it? I mean, the, uh, Zack Snyder's original ending was just going to be the shot of the guy shooting himself on the dock, oh. and, then, and then the home video scenes when they're on the boat were added in later. Right. <laughs> Uh, which ends with them turning up on an island that's full of zombies anyway. Hmm. Um, I should watch that again, actually. I think the, the certainly that ten-minute opening, where what 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 wrong-footed me at the time was, you know how zombie films are. You know, oh, there's something weird going on, and there's a few news reports and something funny going on. You know, and you you know, the first like, half hour of the film. And it was the fact, I think, that it compressed it all into like 10 minutes. And you get that final shot where it just sort of pulls back from her car and pulls back and it's just chaos. And then Johnny Cash comes in. And it's fantastic. And the opening titles have flashes of news clips all over the world as civilization collapses. Yeah. So we're getting all the the backstory out of the way very quickly. Mm. So that's Night of the Living Dead over and done with. Now we're getting to Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. It's a very, I mean, it's written by James Gunn. Oh, okay. Then, but that explains so it. So <laughs> it may it may be it may be that the reason it's a good Zack Snyder movie is yeah. because it's from the writer of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, yes. Zack Snyder copy script good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bruce goes to a, a restaurant hmm. where he worked, presumably when he was. Uh, yeah, or they were dating. <clears throat> so they would. He, he was when he was dating Betty Ross or something. Yeah, and and uh, he's an old friend of the uh, proprietor, and. I like that it's just immediate description. Oh yes, we're old friends. Mm. With absolutely no setup no. whatsoever. <laughs> it's it would be lazy if it weren't so brazen. I don't know. I mean, the thing is that there's a few, and we're coming up to a point a bit later where there's definitely a few points in this film that that seem to suffer from being overwritten, where somebody is really worried at a point of logic and has gone out of their way to explain it. 
I guess I don't mind this one too. It's just, yeah, fine, hello, how are you? And you, so long as the, the script keeps moving, you, you don't think about it and you don't worry about it too much. The bit that strikes me as being a bit overwritten, as if somebody's worried about the logic, is then when he uses pizzas to sort of sneak into the university. Yeah. As if it's just some, some kind of magic key that stops everyone asking questions. I like that because I don't think it's taking that idea very seriously. I guess. That pizza is just the magic um, currency that mm. lets you into anywhere in a university. You can just bribe people with a pizza. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, that's not how I read As I say, I read it at the time, somebody going, but how does he get in? Surely this lab will have security. Well, okay. They do. He bribed the security guard with a pizza. Yeah, but he, so, again, as we established in the hockey, he bribed the world's worst security <laughs> guard. With yeah, a it's like... Uh, Whenever Hulk's around, the security just falls apart. Yeah. Um, and also, the, the pizzeria owner is played by the actor who did the voice of Bruce Banner in the 1960s Marvel superhero comic uh, cartoon series. Yeah. I would never, have, would never have picked up on Because the character's given such prominence, and I thought, this is... Yeah, yeah. Surely this guy is somebody. Is he from mm. a TV show? Yes, he played Bruce Banner. Same as um, earlier on, when Bruce is watching TV to teach himself Portuguese. He's watching The Courtship of Eddie's Father, which was oh. a sitcom that starred Bill Bixby, who played hmm. Bruce Banner in the 70s TV show. And Lou Ferrigno does the Hulk's yes. voice in this film as well, having played the Hulk's body in the show as well. So yes. it's all, again, it's all going back into the lore. It's all respectful of the history. The, you know, the, the references are there for people who get them. And if you don't, it's fine. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Um, so he turns up at the, uh, the lab... Uh, with his delivery uh, of pizzas, an extra one for Lou Ferrigno, who's also playing a security guard, and he he logs in with Betty's yeah. key login, which she hasn't changed. Yes, and there's a little pop up for Norton antivirus. Yeah, which I assume is a, a hilarious in joke. Yeah. Well, Norton, well, you've heard of Norton antivirus. Oh yeah, it's yeah, a real yeah, thing. Yeah. I think they just decided to put that in there because aha, yeah, uh, you have the same name as the same name. Um. But it turns out that the data he's looking for is missing from the system. And this... And now I'm going to worry about a piece of story logic because he searches the database. Now, later on, it's established that some organisation called S.H.I.E.L.D. is monitoring the internet for specific keywords and searches. Maybe a good idea to extend that to the university database and just see if anyone ever searches for gamma radiation or... But... Well, they're assuming that Bruce isn't going to physically go to the university Possibly. because it's like it's like hiding a nuclear bomb in Tokyo. <laughs> it's like you yeah. wouldn't think of doing that because that's not smart. But Bruce does it anyway because apparently yeah. no one there is looking for him. No, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the that's the bigger question: Why does no one recognise him while he's there? Mm. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yes, the only person that recognises him is Betty, isn't it? You would think somebody would go. Weren't you the bloke that there was that odd scandal about? Five years ago, or yeah. when. Weren't you the guy who turned into a crazy monster and whose dad became a bubble? <laughs> How is he, by the way? <laughs> he's, he's much better now. <laughs> yeah. He cut off all his hair, all his thousands of hair. Um, later, he just goes to hang around outside Betty's house <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a creep. Yes. And she sees him but, and he runs off. But she, uh, she chases after him and. Um, and 
they have a reunion. Yes, that's it. Um, oh, this is terrible. I watched this yesterday and I'm struck... Because I know you have the scene in the, the pizza restaurant where he comes in and they nearly made. Because that's yes. Really, how, how do they... Is it just that she sees him outside her house then? Yeah. That's it. She sees him and then she's, dri- she's driving around in the rain and... Um, she, yeah, she she follows after him and and she catches up with him. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that the data she has the data in storage at her own home, mm. but um, the general doesn't know. Um, the super ser- the super soldier serum is retrieved from storage, and Blonsky gets a a, a, a blob of it. What have I written? Oh, what, what? oh yeah. Uh, Edward Norton's cut. Yeah, I think one of the reasons he didn't come back for any of the subsequent movies was that apparently Edward Norton has a bit of a reputation for taking over productions. Mm. And when the press release was announced of Edward Norton not coming back, Kevin Feige, who's the executive producer at Marvel, said they needed someone who would work well in the collaborative environment. So it's basically, we want some. We want someone who is not going to take over. Yeah. Well, this is the story of American History X, isn't it? Yeah. Where he he appears to have taken over somehow. He basically took. I mean, he the American History X. I think got funding based on his involvement because mm. he was an Oscar nominee from a from one of his very first films and story about uh, American right wing extremists. And uh, how a racist is redeemed and tries to stop his younger brother going the same way. Directed by Tony Kay, but Edward Norton exerted a lot of control and had mm. his own cut made, and that was the version of the film that was distributed. Yeah. And became a critical hit and landed him another Oscar nomination. And Tony Kay was absolutely furious. Yeah. So. So he's never done a director's commentary, then? So he's never done a director's commentary, no. So Norton had a reputation of taking away. Yeah. Control. And. He tried the same on this, did he? That I think. Well, I mean, they let him rewrite the script. Yeah, they did. And he's not credited. He was credited on early posters. He's not credited on the finished film. Interesting. Which suggests some sort of arbitration by the Writers Guild. Yeah. Which might have contributed to him not wanting to come back. And certainly, given that he wanted a film that was different in terms of what we ended up with. He wanted something that was more grounded and serious, like Batman Begins. Right, yeah, yeah. Rather than the more Marvel tone of action and adventure with a seasoning of comedy. Um, he wasn't maybe happy with the finished film yeah. anyway, so it was kind of by mutual consent. I don't want to come back. That's okay, we don't want you. <laughs> yeah. Who said no first is the... Exactly, yeah. I mean... I'm trying to think about who who could have said what first in the press and made it look like it was a, a mutual agreement. Yeah. Well, it's like the joke in um, Smashing and Nicey, isn't it? Where the Smashing and Nicey are running down to the press briefing at the same time as the Johnny Beergut, I believe, the head of Radio mm-hmm. 1. And they both run in at the same time and joke to him, they're fired, we resign. Yeah. Um, Blonsky gets two injections of the super serum oh, into yeah. his bone marrow whilst... Uh, Bruce and Betty go for a walk. Oh no! Bruce and Betty are going to walk into the the lab, and she deliberately kind of musses him up to make him a bit yeah. less conspicuous, untucking his shirt, 
Um, oh, that's what she's walking into the bus station or something. Yeah, isn't she? yeah, yeah. He's because he's heading out of town again because he can't stay. Um, but the military's closing in, and Blonsky is now super fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he runs, it looks like he's maybe dangling on wires. Yeah, there is. They hold one particular shot just slightly too long because again it's one of those ones where I went back to about and and as you watch it towards the end he just starts to lift off the ground a little bit Mm. but what was it it was um, Underworld wasn't it where they were running along on carpet towed behind cars or something that worked it was was, treadmills towed behind cars oh yeah Um, and um, Bruce gets chased into the library where he does the only thing that he can do, which is swallow the yes. USB stick. Which I, I, I quite like and always reminds me of, is it? it's a running joke in Arrested Development where Joe um, keeps swallowing keys. Yeah. And the result is every, he keeps making these horrible wrenching noises as he's trying to bring a key back up. Um, Betty confronts the general at the university and asks him to stop, but uh, Bruce is trapped in a, a sort of a glass yeah, uh, arcade corridor thing. They fire in tear gas, uh, and he starts to transform. And um, and then you get your first proper look at. Uh, I think the well, the audience gets their first proper look at the Hulk, and so does Betty. I think doesn't. Yeah. It? Because isn't doesn't General Boss have some line about now she'll see him for what he really is or something? Like yeah. That. So quite what she thought was going on five years ago at the lab, but maybe she got knocked out quickly because she does end up in hospital, doesn't she? I think, yeah, yeah. I'm sure in the kind of the the quick credit sequence where it does the this is all the stuff you remember from the first film. Don't think about it. It includes a shot of her in hospital. Yeah. Um. Um, So there's a big fight there. Everyone's shooting at the Hulk. All the bullets bounce off. Yeah. This is the American military's as I say, the American military's plans never really seem to extend beyond what if we really annoy the Hulk constantly? Um, They try using uh, an ultrasonic weapon Mm. to subdue him, but he winds up using um, some shields. I'm not sure where he got them from. Yeah, no, there's there's one particular point where he's fighting Blonsky and suddenly they're just in front of this kind of sheet metal. Oh, right. And I... Didn't and I I did I did exactly what you did I I sort of went well what what's that and where did it come from but I didn't care enough at that point to to go back and look ah. again maybe it's probably one of these like fancy fancy pants sculptures they have all over the place these days or something but he uses that to um, redirect the mm. sound waves of a helicopter because he thinks Betty's in danger or something yeah. I've got to say every time I say Betty as well I keep thinking of some mothers do have them it's a, I know nothing. Doesn't really tie into anything. It's just I I do wish they'd chosen a different name for her. It's like whenever he gets angry, he like breaks the shed or smash, <laughs> smashes a gas cooker. Yeah, yeah, destroys the floor in a hotel room, that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> Hulk take out in morning. Um, and Blonsky steps forward and says, "Oh, is that all you got?" Uh, and the Hulk kicks him into a tree. And I really, I quite like that. If that had been the end of his character, I would do that because it's a really... It's, it's, it, it's humiliating it's for him. It's incredibly humiliating. And, and it's, it's one of the few times where I kind of liked... The, and I suppose it, it, 
in a different film, if, if it had been played by a different actor or if the writing process had been different or something, you might have felt more that he deserved it, that this was the baddie and he was getting what was coming to him. But here I just kind of laughed because he's been a bit of a dull character. And this is the, f- the first interesting thing he's done, is be kicked to death by the Hulk. It feeds into the overall story, though, yes. because he's had the super soldier yeah. infusion. He's had a taste of it. Yeah. yeah, and even then, the Hulk just, bing, mm. just gets rid of him easily. Yeah, so he, need, he needs he needs more. Betty approaches Hulk, and he protects her from the gunfire. And there's an explosion, mm. and he just sort of curls himself around her to protect her from the fire. And then he just just runs off. Yeah, well, and then in a really distracted... And then suddenly, and I, God knows why I picked up on this, it suddenly starts raining to the extent that I'm sitting there watching it go, but it was sunny a minute ago, and I don't know whether this is maybe just covering problems they had on location or something, but it just suddenly starts raining. It's, um, well, it then makes the next scene so dramatic when yes. he's running around in the forest in the rain, yeah. and he's frightened by a lightning strike. Yes, and then they go to the... The, the Culver City Waterfall or whatever the hell yeah it. and it, it's that it's that King Kong moment again I suppose it is isn't it yeah that's true it's going back it's back into the jungle and the wilderness yeah it's funny I, I really picked up on the King Kong stuff in the Ang Lee film but not so much in this one but yeah you're right that's actually that's it isn't it meanwhile uh, Blonsky's in traction and he wakes up whilst Betty and Bruce are in a motel. Mm. And um, she uh, she sells a, a, a necklace yeah. that he gave her so that they can afford the hotel room. Yes, that's it, isn't it? Um, and then they have a whole conversation about going on the run and what you can and can't. And I like this because he's he's now become an expert in what, what you can and can't use. Mm. Uh, he goes into the bathroom and sticks his fingers down his throat to get the USB yes. stick back. Um, and he holds on and she buys him a new pulse watch mm. and a new pair of stretchy jogging bottoms and she also gives him a haircut yeah and she says oh and you've been, you've been doing it on your own all this time and it's sort of yes is it the haircut or yeah. just have the, the tragedy of being the Hulk it's the, the, these, as I say, I just wasn't engaged with the love interest side of this plot at all. So these scenes just—I know there's no poetry in my soul. Um, <laughs> I just didn't engage with these bits at all. Um, but there's nothing wrong with them. Um, well, that I like that they sort of they, they snuggle down in bed and there's sort of an intimation. Oh yeah, like, that's right. Oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah. And then his pulse watch goes off. So um, yeah, I don't think. We can do very much. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's an essay, and I can't... There's an essay by a well-known science fiction writer whose name escapes me, and it's called Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. And it's all about what would happen if Superman actually tried to get it on with Lois Lane. Mm. And it's not... Um, Good luck finding a condom is basically the... Uh, is basically the first problem. Yeah... I'm trying to think of that on a practical level now, and yeah, you yeah, no, I don't like, I don't like that. Blonsky recovers, and he's he wants more. He wants more. Yeah. He's wants a rematch, and he wants more of the thing that's you know he wants more more physical power. They sneak into a 
Bruce and Betty sneak into a uh, garage. Oh, yeah. And yeah. whilst Betty's distracting the uh, proprietor, Bruce uses the computer to send the data off to Mr. Blue. And S.H.I.E.L.D. tracks him, and it turns out it's one Dr. Samuel Stearns. Does yeah. He? Oh, right, it's just a character we've not seen at all in the movie so and that's... far. <laughs> I can't... There's something about this that I find a bit... I, I suppose I... I Maybe you're supposed to think it's a double bluff. Maybe in a maybe in a worse written film, it would be that he was emailing Shield or something like mm. that, and that he was being strung along, and it was a double bluff. But as yeah, there's something just a bit. It's just a man. I don't know. I can't quite. The, the, it's it's odd to introduce a new significant character this. Yeah, late I in suppose the movie. that's it. And there's also something a little bit, given that it's been established how much of an expert he is in evading capture to give away his position you know oh well i'll just type all my recognized aliases maybe he doesn't know they have the laptop and maybe he doesn't know about them that they know about the mr blue and mr green it's it's all encrypted he's not a computer physicist i suppose that's true computer physics is obviously a real thing yes yeah but and to give him credit that's actually because that's usually one of the problems you do have with films, isn't it? Is that they assume that this is a man of science, therefore he can do anything. He's got everything. No, yeah. he's a biologist. Yeah. He no, I, he... yeah, well, I'll give them this one. I was prepared to whine and pick holes in the logic, but no, they they win this round. Um, I mean, the if they were really doing the whole interconnected thing, the obvious thing to do is it turns out Mr. Blue is Tony Stark. Yeah, but how... Or, how is, or is someone from the first Iron Man film. Mm. It could be Happy Hogan, maybe. That would be funny. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's rubbish at everything. Or it turns out to be Jarvis or something, yeah. That's... That would be... Yeah, it turns out to be an actual computer he's talking to. Hmm. But um, the introduction of Samuel Stearns and the way the character develops... It's meant to set up the character for I think that's the, the Incredible Hulk too. That's the problem, isn't it? Is that yes, he's it, it, he feels like a, he feels like an appendix of a character. Yeah. In a way. He, Bruce describes the transformation as being like having a liter of acid poured into your brain, in terms of the hallucinations mm. and the way it transforms his consciousness, and that he specifically says that the Hulk is not him. Yeah. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be able to control it. He just wants to. He just wants it gone. Yeah. Um, as they're driving into New York, they discover a roadblock. Uh, so they abandon their car and get a boat across. Yeah. And when they get onto Manhattan, they say, "Right now, now which subway station do we need to?" Them? Yeah, me in a crowded underground metal tube, full of angry people. Hmm. Is that a good idea? Okay, we'll take a taxi. Cut to them in a taxi with driving crazily all over the place. And I'm gonna, Bruce looking terrified. I'm going to sound like a real... Gr- I don't like the taxi scene. The taxi scene feels like it's been edited in from a completely different film or something. It's just, I, 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 I liked it. I liked it as like a... a this, the fact that the film has more humour and it's, it's finding ways to be funny about the idea of the Hulk without ever making him the punchline. Hmm. But in a, in a in another version of the film it would work, but here it just feels like it's coming from from somewhere. It, it, in, in a way, as you say, it sounds like it was written to give Liv Tyler something to do, in the same way that 
you get those films where the female lead hasn't been written with a character. So somebody goes, oh, why don't you just be really clumsy and trip over a lot or something? Mm. It just... I don't... Well, at least they don't ever do that with her character. They never give her... Oh, yeah, no, she's not... No, she's she's an intelligent, competent woman. She stands up to her father. She's a a, a Mm. very highly regarded professor of biochemistry oh yeah they, ne- um, they, ne- they never undermine and I'm struggling now to think of a film that does that thing of having the really clumsy female lit but there seem to be hundreds of them at one point it's, it's a cliche yeah. we can safely assume that there's lots of them but it's just this. In, it's just I suppose maybe it is that thing that yes you could just snip it out and you could just have them walking up the steps to the university and nobody would question how they got there um so yeah, I find I'm just being grumpy on this one. It just feels like it, it belongs in a completely different version of the Hulk. Mm. But I, but Bruce does say, well, you know, I, I have some techniques if you want to let teach yourself to manage that kind of anger. Mm. And they they meet Stearns, and he's played by Tim Blake Nelson, another very fine actor. Yeah. And unlike a lot of the other very fine actors in this movie, he's really throwing himself into this. Yeah, yeah, he's got. He's got a bit more of a character to get hold of. Even if it's just, well, he's smart, so obviously he's going to talk quickly. He's, he's a very typical eccentric scientist. Yes. He's really over-enthusiastic. He's very clever. He he's, talks very quickly, as you say. Yeah, he uses long words. He's, yeah. But um, he feels like a, a, a character, as you say, you can really get a handle mm. on. Um. Meanwhile, uh, Blonsky is Blonsky, who's kind of just been off in his own like room for yeah, the last hour. Yes, he's starting to mutate into something. Yeah, um, Stearns' lab is sort of all slapped together, and they've got all kinds of things about infusing things into people and mm-hmm. using electric shocks to tr- to trigger a transformation. Yes, um, and this again, this kind of threw me because I, I think. I think maybe my attention had wandered a little bit and I wasn't... Because he, his setup has got loads of old cathode ray tube star monitors and I'm just sitting there suddenly paying attention going, when's this film supposed to be set? But actually I don't think it's meant to be like set in the 90s. I think it's just he's using old monitors. He's just... He's, he's like... Yeah. Because this sort of thing is off the books, maybe he's had to cobble it all together yeah. from equipment no one's going to miss. Yes. Although how where, where you get hold of... Um, ECT ECT with yeah. Uh, oh, you could build one. I suppose that's true. I mean, all it's got to do is give people shocks. I mean, for the I mean, obviously it's going to be more complicated than that. But for the purposes of audience comprehension, yeah, yeah, it's just an electric shock machine. That's right. So they test whether or not the, you know, his serum will be able to control the Hulk, and it works. Mm. Um, which is fortunate because. Stearns mentions that the previous test subjects didn't survive. Which, they go, uh, what test subjects? Oh, oh, let me show you this. And they walk into another room, and it's a room full of, yes, full of Bruce's blood. blood, which has been, he's synthesised. It's, oh, yeah, it's going to be incredible. I mean, you know, we can use this for all kinds of things. Oh, Jesus, this is like the last guy all over again. Yes. Um, meanwhile, the military are around, and they've managed to get a, uh, a sniper shot on mm. Bruce and uh, Blonsky goes in against orders because he wants to take on Bruce man to man. Yeah, um, that's it. 
Um, yeah, and they start. They knock him out, and for and once, the military operation goes as planned. Yeah. And Betty disowns her father. Yeah, but then still gets in the helicopter because you need a lift home. I thought she'd been arrested. Oh, may actually, her dad has a kind of ambiguous comment about that's the only reason you're not in handcuffs or something. So maybe you're maybe she's technically under arrest. Yeah. As I say, I'm. You have to remember that as I'm watching this film, for whatever reason, I'm gradually getting less and less engaged with it as it goes on. So I you're, kind of, you're, you're like me, you're paying more attention to the buses going by outside. Kind of. And I'm kind of looking for more stuff like, well, that's, that bit's plainly rubbish. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, I, it, there was a thing of thinking that, yeah, well, she's just, you know, of course she's going to get in a helicopter with her dad after she's just decided. But yes, maybe she's been arrested. Um, Blonsky wants what uh, what Banner has, so he gets um, Stearns to infuse him with the serum as well, mm. and he mutates monstrously into this horrific creature. Um, and as he smashes the place up, uh, he knocks down uh, Stearns, wounds, bashes mm. his head, and some of the serum drips into the wound in his head and his head starts to mutate monstrously. Yes, which does raise, as you say, raises the question of what happened to Stan Lee earlier. Yeah. Did he like turn it, have like a, a, a Hulk stomach? Maybe. Or I mean, given he was drinking fruit juice, did he turn into some kind of like radioactive banana hybrid? Guava. Yes. <laughs> banana man? Yeah, well, possibly. <gasps> now there's a film. Man of Peel. So Blonsky leaps out of the building and there's a, a single take, well, not single take, mm. a single shot sequence where he's running around and smashing stuff up. And I quite like this bit as well because there's all this, because the soldiers were running around going, well, the Hulk, we're chasing the Hulk, we're engaged, and, and of course everyone's looking at Bruce. And, and Bruce is right there. Yeah. He's just normal. And um, we established at this point that the university's actually in Harlem. Yes. For no reason other than it's a bit of New York that's not normally in this sort of film. There is a there is a university campus up that end of New York, although I can't remember what it's called now. Not Columbia. Um, might be. Columbia um, or NYU, but I don't know if they only have one campus each or they're spread around. Yeah, and so I, 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 I guess, but yeah, it's generic. Um, it's probably one that Spider-Man goes to. Spider-Man lives in uh, Queens, though. Mm. Actually, no, that's nearby. Harlem is northern end of, of Manhattan, Manhattan, yeah, and Queens is north of the north of the island. So. Yeah, but but it depends. But it but ah now, in this in the MCU, Spider-Man hasn't even got to university yet. Oh no, yeah, Spider-Man's probably yeah. like a little baby. It's the it's the university that Spider-Man will go to. Yeah, um, but there's also and and I guess I'd never. Paid, never tied this back. In one of the other films later on, Mark Ruffalo has a line about smashing up Harlem, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and I just assumed it was kind of a cute joke. I didn't realise it was referring back to this. That, to that film that I'd seen and completely forgotten about. He does the same thing at the end of the the previous movie where they fire a rocket at him and he bites off. Yes. The but the when you talk, when we were talking about the Hulk, you make a comment about the fact that the Hulk doesn't just run around ripping people's arms and legs off. But the abomination does. Because the abomination is... He was a nasty guy when he was human. Yeah. Whereas Bruce is just like a quiet scientist. And what's interesting as well is up to this point, this film has also been quite 
offhand, it doesn't want to kill anybody, to the extent even that when you watch the fight sequence in the factory at the start, there's a few people that should really be dead who apparently aren't, because they never talk about casualties. Yeah. Um, I think at one point somebody gets a kind of loading sled thing pushed over them. But they're, they're just a flesh wound. Yeah. Um, but yes, now, but now they've obviously, but they've been saving it up, and now the abomination is running around in Harlem, and is reportedly just killing everybody. Yeah. And he's this horrific, mm. like Clive Barker monster creature as well. They made some effort when they were doing the um, motion capture to have Tim Roth move as though he's not used to being that size mm. and that weight. So he does sort of stumble around a bit because he's just not used to having to yeah. move like that. So it makes it, just gives it a little edge of yeah. realism. It helps sell the whole thing a bit more. So the only way to fix this is for Bruce to fight... Uh, the abomination. Yeah. So he jumps out of the helicopter, thinking that he'll yes. he'll transform on the way down, but he doesn't, and he just goes smashed straight into the pavement. Except again, there's another joke that just grated on me, which is the bit where he will, and he goes, "Oh shit!" Except of course, obviously, it's a it's a twelve or something, yeah. so he's not allowed to. So he gets cut off, and again, it just it just feels like a joke that's coming from somewhere. Somewhere else, um, and maybe I'm just being excessively grumpy. It's, but it's the Marvel House style. I suppose it is, isn't it? Uh, that, yeah, I'm, uh, at this point, I'm just criticising a dog for barking, aren't I? Basically, because as you say, that's that's what they will do in other films. It's it's if you feel that it's out of step with the rest of the movie, mm. and I don't feel it is, but you disagree. Yeah, and that's okay. It's an opinion. You're allowed one. Um. So they have a... I mean, he, tra- he transforms yes. and he pulls himself out of the ground and they fight. Bruce tears a car in half and puts oh, yes, one yes. half each on each fist. I thought, ah, driving gloves. <laughs> um, and the, the, there's jumping all over the place. Um, there's a crash with a helicopter. Mm. Um, the mm. abomination stabs Bru- uh, the Hulk with one of his arm spikes. There's a point... I mean, this again is... I don't, I don't know why I don't re- much like the fight at the end of this film. It's partly, I think, that the helicopter crashes in one of those, like, ruined gothic factories that they have so many of in Harlem. Okay. And, um... There's also something else. Oh, it's the bit at the end when he's... He's he's just kind of beaten up a bit. The abomination is just beaten up and he's just kind of lying on the ground and surrenders, which doesn't feel right. And I suppose maybe the argument is he's been beaten twice now by the Hulk and he's humiliated, but... He's, he doesn't have any physical strength. He doesn't have any physical will left in him to, to yeah. fight. He can't, he can't do any more. Just doesn't, doesn't quite work. It doesn't well, work for me that that character is just going to meekly allow himself to be arrested. But he, then again, I suppose they don't want the Hulk to kill anybody. No. Um... But the, uh, the the chopper that Betty and the general are in crashes mm. and it catches fire and a huge fireball and the Hulk runs forward and claps his hands together yeah, and, that's all and the, the blast of air puts the fire out straight away. Yeah, that's all quite that's I like, all nice. I like that. And, and just as the abominations beating him to the ground, oh, any last words? And he says... I'm going to get Hulk smash? Very uh, perfect delivery there. <laughs> but yes, they, they fight and the Hulk wins. Yeah. Um, the uh, camera low battery. 
<laughs> oh, it's the sequence at the end where she's got where where it's however many days later when Liv Tyler's been walking around with that digital camera in her pocket. Oh yes. I'm not really sure why that. Yes, see, they bought a digital camera and she takes this picture and then it doesn't come back until this. Yeah. Moment. That product placement, I assume. Yeah, that's actually that's true. It might. Um, be. But uh, meanwhile, Bruce has gone off to live in the wilderness. Oh yes, he's gone up north this time, and, hasn't he? And uh, he's somehow got hold of her necklace again and he sends it off to her mm. and he's meditating he opens his eyes and they turn green yeah and the day of that incident resets and it then points to how bruce's character how bruce's relationship with the hulk develops mm. that he and the hulk are now symbiotic he can sort of control and sort of summon yeah. him when he needs to and there's a very simple line in marvel's the avengers where people ask Bruce all the way through, how is it that you, you, you stay in control? How is it you, you mm. avoid becoming angry? And he says, simple, I'm always angry. And with that, he, tur- he just turns around as he transforms into the Hulk, bursts out of his clothes, and punches an alien spaceship in the face. Yes. There's actually, for, for, the, for all that I've been a bit lukewarm about this, there's one, there's a point towards the end of the film where Bruce Banner says, oh, well, maybe the Hulk, I can kind of point him at the abomination. And the sequence where he wakes up in Guatemala, having headed north, I don't know whether the, the thing there is that the Hulk also realises he needs to get back to the university. So they do actually do a reasonable job of foreshadowing some of these elements within the film. It's, yeah. Overall, I think I, I like this much better than the first film. There's more sort of triumph. There's more... There's more tragedy in it, I think, than the first film. And it has a, a nice mix of all the elements that you want. And it's a pity that it still didn't do as well as the first film. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it, um, it did about the same at the box office and uh, didn't really catch on. Thanks to Chris for making time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts and Acast with more than 70 episodes available. So please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo. And Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help with our running costs. However, until next time, I'm always angry. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com. Mm-hmm.